You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Today we're actually concluding this series that we've been in. We've been working our way through the book of James. And I get to bring the last message this morning in this series. As we've been talking about this concept, and the book of James is all about this. It's about putting our faith to work. What does it look like for us to take the very faith that we profess and actually flesh it out? To put it work. How many of you know living out pursuing Jesus is more than just talking about it? Are you with me? It's really about what does it look like on Monday? What's it look like on Tuesday and Wednesday? You know, I've been doing church all my life. As most of you know, I was born on Thursday, was in church on Sunday, raised as a pastor's kid. We never talked about whether we were going to go to church or not. Yeah, that kid was just like, that's what we did. The church doors were open. We were. We were there. So I've been in church like all of my life, all 56 years of my life. And one of the things I've come to discover is that it's really easy on Sunday to show up and say all the right things. But it becomes even more difficult than on Monday and even more challenging on Monday and Tuesday to take that faith that we professed on Sunday and actually live it out in the workplace, to live it out in our neighborhood. Really to put that faith to work. Because again, it's more than just a profession of words. Obviously it begins, your faith journey, my faith journey began as we made a profession of faith, right? As we accepted Christ as our Savior, as we opened our life to the wonder of His saving grace. But beyond that point, like that's the starting point. And now James is helping us know what it looks like to walk out our faith. To, to more than just profess Jesus, but but to live Jesus. And when that happens, when we, when we put our faith to work, then this is what happens. Our lives become living testimonies of Jesus, right? Like wherever you go, in the, in the grocery store, um, at the ballpark, in the gym, in your workplace, your life becomes a living testimony. Why? Because you are putting your faith to work. And here's the second thing that happens, and this is really exciting for me, your life becomes worship to God. See, oftentimes we have this limited mentality of worship and we think worship happens on you know Sunday morning at 9:15 we come together and pastor Johnny and their youth that their youth did a great job this morning don't you think man i'm always excited when our teenagers show up to lead us in worship but worship is more than what happens in this time slot at 9:15 on Sunday morning worship is about how you live your life how you live out your faith. So as we're putting our faith to work, not only are our lives a living testimony, not only are our lives a living witness to those who are watching, but our lives become that of worship to God. As we are putting our faith to work. Well, as we looked at this last section of the book of James, the focus this morning is on faith and prayer. James gives us some insight as to how we can effectively connect with God through this avenue of what we call being prayer. You know, there's a story of three pastors who were talking about prayer in general and like the most effective way to pray. Like, if you're going to pray, how should you pray? And the first pastor said, well, if, if you're going to pray effective, it's all about your hands. It's about putting your hands together and like pointing them up toward heaven. He says, that's how you pray effectively. And the second pastor said, no, I, I would disagree. Like the most effective way, if you really want to be effective in your prayer, it's got to be on your knees. You've got to get on your knees before God. Well, as they're having this conversation, there's a telephone repairman who's working on a phone line, and he's listening into their conversation. So he's heard the, about the hands. He's heard about the knees. The third pastor says, no, if you really want to pray effectively, you've got to get flat on your face. You've got to get prostrate before God. That's how you can connect in effective prayer with God. And 
But this time the phone repairman like couldn't stay out of the conversation any longer, and he, he interjected his perspective on prayer. He said, I found the most powerful prayer I've ever prayed while I was dangling upside down by my heels from a power post suspended 40 feet above the ground. How many of you know, how many of you know that desperate places in life call for desperate measures of prayer, right? Well, think about this. This is a pretty awesome thought this morning, and I'm, I'm going to try not to get hung up on this thought, because a lot I want to talk about today. This is the problem when you're gone for four weeks. You want to come back and you want to preach like four Sundays of messages all in one. So I hope you brought your snacks this morning. But think about this. This is an awesome thought. I mean, this, I mean, this, is, this is so profound that the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who lacks in no way, the God who is working in your life for your good has invited you to come and connect with him in conversation. He's invited you to ask of him. He's opened this avenue of prayer where you and I, as fragile and frail and as messed up as we are, that we can come and engage in a conversation with God and we can bring our cares, our concerns, our needs, and we can invite like the power of heaven to show up in our lives. Is that not awesome? As limited as we are, how many of you know, as messed up as we are, this is what God says. He says, come and ask of me. This, this privilege, the privilege that we have of connecting in, in God with prayer. In, in Hebrews 4.16, we have this encouragement when it comes to prayer. Listen to how this scripture reads. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we f- might find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And isn't that not amazing? I mean, think about this. The God who, who is limited in no way, the God of possibility is saying to us, come confidently with your petitions. Come confidently with your needs. So as we come in prayer, we're not coming presumptuously. This is really important. When you pray, you're not coming presumptuously before God. You're coming at His invitation. Think about that. You're coming at his invitation. Again, God's saying, come and ask of me. And then in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, you might write that reference down. It's not in your notes. God says this, call to me and I will answer you. I'll tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Call upon me. God says, I'll answer you. Again, it's limited Fragile human beings, we have this privilege of connecting with God through prayer. We have the opportunity to invite God into the circumstances and the situations of our lives. You know, the Bible teaches that God deals with His children not through absolute determinism, but by divine providence. He interacts with us and in response to the prayers of His people. So, friends, with God it's never an issue of can He. It's only an issue of will He. And while you don't always know if he will, you, you can always know that he can. And because you know he can, you can pray with holy confidence. You can present your petitions and needs knowing that God loves you and he's constantly working for your good. Again, that's the privilege. It's the privilege of prayer. And it's simply stated, prayer and praise are the means through which we open our lives to God's work and provision. It's what God has created for us. It's the connection point. Prayer and praise are the means by which we invite heaven to invade earth. I mean, think about that. Prayer and praise are the way that we open our lives to the miraculous. 
reminded of a situation. There's so many stories I could tell this morning, but this one was fresh on my mind. There was a young couple in our church family who were struggling with infertility. They wanted a family, but they were not able to conceive. And, and obviously they were frustrated. They were concerned. They had this desire. They had this longing, but like conception wasn't happening. So we began to pray with them. It, it was a time and season, maybe you'll recall this, I don't know how long you've been here, but we had prayer boards over on the side wings where individuals wrote prayer needs and we were taking time praying over those. We were, we were asking God to reveal his greatness in situations. So this couple put this need, infertility, on the prayer board and, and we began to pray over that and there was a miracle that happened and that where there would, had not been the ability to conceive, there was life in the womb. And it didn't happen just once. Today they have five children. Where they had no children, today they have five children. Where there was not the possibility of conception, God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And that's what happens as we pray. But again, we invite God's power. We invite God's provision. Listen, this is what I know, not only from the Bible, but from firsthand experience. It's simply this, folks. Prayer works. Prayer works. And as we humble ourselves and partner faith in prayer, miracles happen. As we engage in prayer and invite God into our situation, this is what he does. He brings his provision. He brings his work in our lives on our behalf. At times he brings his comfort. At times he brings his strength. At times he reveals his power. It all happens as we connect with God through prayer. There's a book that Pastor Mark Batterson wrote called The Circle Maker. Maybe you read it. If you haven't, I would encourage you to pick up the book. It's a great read. But in the book he makes this statement. He says, God is determined that certain expressions of his power will only be expressed in response to prayer. Simply put, God won't do it unless you pray for it. I love this next line. A hundred percent of the prayers we don't pray won't get answered. A hundred percent of the prayers that we don't pray won't get answered. That's why we should be a people of prayer. And that's why James, as he concludes brings about this concept of prayer partnered with our faith, or faith at works through prayer. So if you have, a, if you have your Bibles, look with me to James chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading this morning, verse 13. James says, Is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 15 says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Notice the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens produced rain, and the earth produced its crops. So James' answer here, for every season and every situation, is that we should pray, to invite God into our lives so that we might experience his power and his his provision. You know, it's absolutely imperative at the outset that, that you come to terms with this simple yet life-changing truth. Here it is. God is for you. God is for you. You may have to encourage your neighbor, turn to your neighbor, turn to someone there beside you and declare to them this morning, God is for you.
Now look them in the eyes and say it with boldness. Declare to them, hey, God is for you. Listen, if you believe that, it will change the way you live and it will change the way you pray. If you don't believe that, you're going to pray timid, weak prayers. But if you truly believe that God is in your corner working on your behalf and that the God who spoke the world in existence is for you, then you're going to pray bold, audacious prayers. You're going to come before God in confidence. Why? Because you're convinced that the God who gave you life is the God who loves you outrageously. And again, one, he is working for your good. So what can we learn from James about prayer? Three statements here, and then I want to conclude by talking with you about how I believe James directs us as to how we can pray effectively. But three statements about prayer. First, James says he encourages to pray when we're facing challenges. Look back to verse 13. The scripture says, is anyone in trouble he should pray? So when trouble or crisis comes, and it will, how many of you know it will, right? Some of you are there now. If you're not there, you'll be there before the week's out. It's the reality of the world that we live in. But there's trouble, there's challenges, there's adversity. So James says when you come to times of trouble, when you come to times of crisis, like our first response should be to what? Should be to pray. Our first response should be to cry out to God. Rather than panicking, we should pray. Rather than, than giving in to fear, we should invite God into the situation. Rather than being overwhelmed and stressed by anxiety, James says, well, we should pray. Matter of fact, Philippians 4, 6, listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying the same thing James is saying. He says, when crisis comes, when challenge comes, when troubles comes, your first response should be to invite God into that situation. And when we find... What we find throughout the Bible is this, friends. God can transform our trouble into triumph. Again, the God who's for you, the God who has no limits, can transform your trouble into triumph. There's a great story. I encourage you to read the whole story. I'm going to give you just a quick summary because of the shortness of time. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is about King Jehoshaphat. The scripture tells us that there were three different nations, three different people groups that had gathered their forces and they're coming to attack King Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel. And it's interesting, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 3 reads like this. Alarmed, King Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Israel. And as they prayed... In the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the challenge, I mean, they have three nations coming against them. They're outnumbered. They're overwhelmed. There seems to be no hope. There seems to be no solution. In the midst of their crisis, what did they do? They prayed. And the Lord responded. This was the word of the Lord. He says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. The battle's not yours, but it's God's. And then he went on to give this instruction. He says, send the worship team out. How many of you know, that's a kind of different battle strategy, right? And if you're on the worship team, you might be wondering, did they really hear from the Lord, right? 
But the scripture says as they went out singing, as they went out declaring the greatness of God, that God fought for them. And where defeat seemed inevitable, they experienced great victory. God turned their crisis, their trouble, into triumph as they prayed. And I I think we see that consistently throughout Scripture. I could give you numerous other illustrations. This is what I know. As we connect with a God who has no limits, what can He do? In the time of our trouble, He can turn our trouble into triumph. That's why James says, if you're in trouble, if you're in crisis, don't panic. Pray. I don't know what trouble you might be facing today, but what I do know is that God can transform your trouble into triumph. He's able. So don't panic. Do what King Jehoshaphat did. Declare fast. Pray. Invite God into the situation. And as you pray, know that that God does not always respond the way you would want Him to. How many of you know that's true? God does not always respond the way you thought He would. Because sometimes He shows up in His power and sometimes he brings his grace. That's what he did for the Apostle Paul. He, God can give us grace to thrive through the challenge. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a passage of scripture that talks about the Apostle Paul. He's facing a challenging situation, a crisis in his life, a, um, a dis, um, a, an uncomfortable time in his life. The scripture doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but it defines it as a thorn in his flesh. There was something that was um, of challenge to Paul. And the scripture says that the apostle Paul prayed three times that God would remove this thorn in the flesh. And this is what God said to Paul. I'm not going to remove it, but I'm going to give you grace to walk through it. This is what I've discovered in my faith journey through the years is that as we seek the heart of God in times of trouble, either one or two things is going to happen. Either God's going to show up and deliver you from the trouble, or He's going to walk with you through the trouble. He's going to bring His grace to you. Interesting, if you read that passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that I'm going to boast all the more in my weakness, that God's power might be manifest, that God might work His work in my life and through my life. But James, James' first direction to us here is simply this. When you're in trouble, what, what should your first response be? I'm going to give you the answer. It's really simple. Okay, it's not a trick question. Okay, it's pray. So when you are in trouble, what should your first response be? Pray. To pray. Don't panic. Don't get stressed. Don't, you know, don't call Aunt Susie. First, invite God into the situation. James says if you're in trouble... Then call the one who's able to do something about it to bring triumph in the midst of the trouble. James goes on to say here, when we're experiencing joy, we should celebrate with singing. Celebrate with you. Now, here's a question. How many of you would say that you're a pretty good singer? Like you can carry a tune. Uh, We have three, uh, four, five. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I'm, no, no, this is serious. How many of you, how many of you say you could, you feel like you can kind of carry a tune? So for all of you who have your hands raised, you probably find it pretty easy just to sing. Because it sounds good. Yeah, interesting. I don't have them in this morning, but 
As I'm growing older, I have a number of challenges. One of them is is my hearing. The other day, my wife said, I'm not putting up with this any longer. You're going to get hearing aids. And so I did. And I I knew that I couldn't sing well. But the interesting thing, if, if you wear hearing aids, you'll know this to be true, is as you have hearing aids in, you actually hear yourself more. Like I go to meetings now with my hearing aids in and I'm whispering because I, it sounds so loud to me. And so now as I sing with my hearing aids, whoa, whoa, it is so bad. So for all of you who say, hey, I, I can carry a tune. It sounds pretty good when I sing. This verse is not a challenge for you. But for all of us, the rest of us, which looked like was about 75% in the room, listen, that's why you don't hear anyone singing on Sunday morning, because we all feel like we can't sing. So so we're not responding and singing because, to be honest, it doesn't sound good, right? And I find comfort in this scripture in Psalms 100 verse 1 that says this, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Come on. Listen, you may not like my singing, but God does. You may not be blessed by my singing, but God is. You may not be moved. You may be like moving toward the back door with my singing. But God is moved when you declare his greatness. And I think James writes this. He says, hey, when things are going good, celebrate with singing. Let me tell you why I think James is making this statement. Here's the tendency. When life is going well and things are good... Our tendency is not to cry out to God, right? When you're in trouble, haven't you know it's pretty easy to pray. You don't, you, you don't have to like motivate me to pray. Listen, when I'm in pain, I'm in prayer, right? When I'm in crisis, I'm in prayer. But when life is going good and everything's well, like it's smooth, our tendency, our human tendency is to forget God. That's why I think James says, hey, when life's going well, And don't forget God, stay connected, celebrate with singing. Declare the greatness, declare the greatness of God. Notice what James goes on to say here about prayer. He goes on to say, when we're sick, we should invite the elders to anoint with oil and to pray. Sickness happens, doesn't it? We're fragile, frail human beings and we live in a fallen world, so sickness happens. And when sickness comes, notice James gives us insight again as to how we should respond. We should call the elders, the the leaders of the church, and we should have them anoint the sick with oil and pray faith-filled prayers. Because then what I'm confident of is that God is able to turn situations around. Listen, He's able to heal cancer. Can I get an amen on that? He's able to heal heart disease. He's able to heal back problems. He's able... He's able to heal at whatever the point of need would be. You know, the scripture says simply that we have not because we ask not. So our place, our place is to pray, to pray faith-filled prayers. Our place is to pray, believing that, that God is able. You know, we provide this every Sunday. We call the leaders of the church forward as we conclude services for opportunities for people to be prayed for. Why do we do this? First, because the scripture is very clear. Right? It's in black and white. It's right there in verse 16. Is any sick among you, what should you do? Call the elders 
that they would anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith. So first we do it because the Bible directs it. Second, we do it really simple, folks. Get this, God's still in the healing business today. The God who made your body can heal your body. Can I get an amen on that? Listen, he hasn't stopped healing today. He is still the miracle working God. And he says, call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things. That's why we pray. That's why we anoint with oil. That's why we make that available at the end of every service. Why? Because we believe that God's still doing miracles today. And he simply said, ask of me. Make way for me to reveal my power. So when, the, when we're sick, we should invite the elders to anoint with oil and to pray. Now, if you're like me, just to be honest, at times I've been frustrated with prayer. I've been frustrated with prayer because I prayed and at times I've not always seen God respond like I thought he would. I, I prayed for sick people and they didn't recover, they died. In fact, I was at the hospital just last evening. Prayed for someone, I left the hospital shortly later, I got a call and they died. Now, how do we deal with that? How, how do we process that? I I don't always have the answers to those situations. This is what I know. God is sovereign. This is what I know. God is able. And this is what I know. God is good. So although I may not have the answer to every situation as to why my prayer is not answered, this is what I know. My responsibility is not to figure out why or, or where or what's happening. My responsibility is to pray. Your responsibility is to pray. Your responsibility is to take this faith, this confidence, and partner it in prayer before a God who's able. How can we do that effectively? You know, James doesn't give us a formula. I'm not into formulas, because I think after a while, the formula that you create trying to figure out God breaks down. I'm not into formulas, but I do believe that James gives us some ideas as to how we can effectively effectively engage in prayer. So as I wrap this up this morning, let let me leave you these four statements as to how I think we can position ourselves to be more effective as we pray. The first is this. You need to address your sin through confession and repentance. Unconfessed sin in your life becomes an obstacle to effective prayer. Let me say that again. Unconfessed sin... Sin that you won't own, sin that you won't deal with, sin that you won't bring before God becomes an obstacle. It's a hindrance to effective prayer. So what do we need to do? We we need to address that. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, jot that down. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. But your sin, your iniquity have separated you from him so that he will not hear. Isaiah is clearly saying what sin becomes the problem. Sin becomes the obstacle. So what do we need to do? I think to connect and affect the prayer, and listen, I do this every morning. I have a time of repentance every morning. And let me tell you why. Because I am a fallen man. I don't always get things right. I struggle. I sin. Listen, just like you do. So as I have my morning prayer and devotions, which is every morning happened this morning early, I have a time of confession and repentance. What, to deal with my stuff? You know, first, first John 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Which then opens the way to effective prayer. 
James says here, confess your sins. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to God. That we might receive His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. What we're removing the obstacle. Because unconfessed sin in your life is an obstacle. We've got to remove the obstacle. So that's the first thing that, that James tells us. That the second key to effective prayer is to pray with confidence knowing that God is able. Pray with confidence. Now God is omnipotent, which means by definition there's nothing he cannot do. Yet many of us pray as if our problems are bigger than God. That's how we approach God in prayer. So let let me remind you of this high-octane truth that should fuel your faith. Listen, God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem. So when you pray, you need to pray with confidence, with boldness. Again, Hebrews 4.16 tells us, invites us to come boldly before God's throne of grace, that we might find help in our time of need. Going back to the first chapter of the book of James, James addresses prayer, and he talks about prayer and doubt. He says, as we pray, we shouldn't doubt. So the man who doubts is like a a wave that's tossed back and forth. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. But doubt and prayer doesn't work. So we want to come confidently. We want to come boldly. So as we come in prayer, we, we, we come with confidence that God is able. So here's a question for you this morning. Are your problems bigger than God or is God bigger than your problems? If you truly believe that God is bigger than your problems, then that should fuel your prayer, to pray with confidence and boldness. Here's a third key to effective prayer that James talks about, is we should pray in partnership with a righteous life. A righteous life. Notice the last part of James 5.16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So, what prayer is powerful and effective? The prayer of a righteous person. Are you connecting it? So, what prayer? If you want to pray powerfully and effective, what does James say is the key? Righteous life, right? You see that in Scripture. So, so we want to... Pray in partnership with the righteous life. As we honor God in our lives and with our lives, God honors us by responding to our prayers and petitions. So we honor Him in our life. Really simple. Again, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We don't always get it right. But as we endeavor to live our lives in a right way, in a God-honoring way, it positions us for effective prayer. Let me share just a couple verses of Scripture with you. Psalm 66, verse 18 and 19 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and he's heard my voice in prayer. And then Psalm 34 verse 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Jot that reference down, Psalm 34 15. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on who? On the righteous. And his ear is attentive is bent toward, is open to their prayer. So as we pray, James would say, hey, you need to to partner righteous life. In other words, you can't go live any way you want. Hell with God, the hell with God's ways. I'm going to do what I want to do and expect God to answer your prayers. 
right? I mean, there's this, there's this concept of righteous. God, James says here, it's the, right, it's the prayer of the righteous that's powerful and effective. Here's the final key to effective prayers. We want to pray with passion and persistence. You know, James concludes this section of scripture we read this morning with an example of the prophet Elijah. And it's a long story. Again, I encourage you to read the whole story. It's in Second Kings chapter 18. But here's the summary of the story. Due to the rebellion of the nation of Israel and their idolatry, there had been a drought for three years. No rain for three years. How many of you know if you have no rain for three years, it gets pretty dry? Like everything's drying up. Crisis is happening. And then there's this challenge. First Kings 17 and 18 talks about this challenge where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, calls down fire from heaven, proves that there's one true God, the God of Israel. And then the scripture says Elijah went up on the top of Mount Carmel and he began to pray for rain. Matter of fact, I'm going to read just a couple verses. First Kings 18 verse 42 says Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He, he bent down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. Go up and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and, and he looked. There's nothing, he said. Seven times. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud the size of a man's hand is rising from the sea. And Elijah said, rain is on the way. Notice, Elijah didn't pray once and stop. He didn't pray a second time and stop. Actually, seven times. In other words, he kept praying. There was a persistence in his prayer. Thing is, we pray. I mean, James gives us this, this example of Elijah. He says, as you pray, you should pray with passion and persistence. There's also another passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. The Scripture says that Jesus told His disciples how they should pray. He says, you should always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. In other words, the persistence, keep on praying. And then He went on to tell a parable. And here's the parable. He says there was this widow woman who had this uh, challenge she was facing against an adversary. There was this injustice that had played out in her life. And she goes to the judge. And the judge just like ignored her. Like, who are you? I don't have time for you. I don't have time for your request. And the scripture says she kept coming back and coming back and coming back and asking and asking and asking. And finally the judge says, man, you're about to wear me out. I'm going to give you what you want. You mean nothing to me. I don't care about the situation, but I don't, I'm tired of you coming and asking. Now, not, God, not that God would say, I'm tired of you coming and asking, but it's interesting that Jesus said to his disciples, this is how you should pray. You keep asking, asking, asking. Matthew 7, 7 says, seeking you, uh, asking, uh, Seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open, asking it will be given to you. And it's interesting that the verb tense there is continuation. So you, it actually should read like this, ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Effective prayer is, is prayer that's offered in confidence and passion and with boldness. Again, 
Pastor Mark Batterson in the Circle Maker made this statement. He said, bold prayers honor God. And God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He's offended at anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are an insult to God. We come in persistence. We come in passion. So as I conclude this morning, I want to remind you of two simple truths. God is for you. And God is able. Let that sink in. God is for you. And God is able. Because God is for you and God is able, I encourage you to put your faith to work through prayer. May prayer not just be an occasional activity of our lives. But may our lives be marked by prayer. What I'm confident of, as we intentionally connect with God through prayer, God will reveal His greatness through our lives. Simply stated. God will show up on your behalf. As you set your heart to seek Him through prayer. I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning. Actually, I'm going to ask you to set your Bibles aside. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to conclude this morning by singing a song that's really a prayer. It's a song about God being our healer. And I don't know what you might be facing today. This is what I know. In the reality of life, challenges happen. Trouble comes. Sickness comes. I don't know what you might be facing this morning or what your loved one might be facing. But this is what I'm confident of today. Again, God is for you and God is able. So as Pastor Johnny leads us in this song, may it be an opportunity for you to cry out to God. For God to bring His greatness in the midst of your place of trouble. For God to bring His greatness in your place of need.
Romans 5.13, the scripture says, is anyone in trouble? Anyone in crisis? Anyone in need? Let him do this. Let him pray. This morning, I want to just extend that question to you. Are you in a place of trouble? The scripture says we should pray. Let me know we should be biblical. Can we agree on that? So if you're in a place of need today, crisis, challenge, what, however you might define that, I would just want us to do what the scripture says. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Invite God into the situation. Invite the one who's able to turn trouble into triumph and to bring his grace and favor into that situation. So anyway, who would just say, hey, that's me. In my life, in my family, there's trouble. Yeah. I mean, we're just going to do what God's word to. We're going to pray. Lord, I, I, I thank you today that, that nothing is impossible with you. God, I thank you today that you are for us. You're in our corner, on our behalf, working for our good. Lord, your word says that you're a rock and a refuge and ever-present help in time of trouble. Your word says, is anyone in trouble? I don't pray. I ask you. So God, we invite your greatness, your power, your provision, your grace. Whatever individuals might be facing, God, you know where they're at. You know what they're navigating through. Lord, this morning, we're simply taking our faith and we're putting it to work as we invite your greatness into that situation. Lord, meet them at their place of need. Bring your grace, I pray. In Jesus' name. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.